0: Today is January 25th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast, and we are going to finish our very first uh, Old Testament book of the Bible, well, really our first book of the Bible, because we haven't finished Matthew yet either, so our first book of the Bible we will finish today is Genesis, and we are going to read Genesis chapter 50, and then we'll move into Exodus 1-1 through Exodus 2-10 for our Old Testament reading today. A lot of reading, so let's jump in. Genesis chapter 50, verse 1. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body. So Jacob was embalmed. The embalming process took the usual 40 days, and the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. When the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors and said, Please do me this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Tell him that my father made me swear an oath. He said to me, listen, I'm about to die. Take my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me in the tomb I have prepared for myself. So please allow me to go and bury my father. After his burial, I will return without delay. Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request. Go and bury your father as he made you promise, he said. So, Joseph went up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all of Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, all the senior officers of Egypt. Joseph also took his entire household and his brothers and their households, but they left their little children and flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. A great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River, they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. The local residents, the Canaanites, watched them mourning at the threshing floor of Atad. Then they renamed that place, which is near the Jordan, Abel Mizerim, for they said, this is a place of deep mourning for these Egyptians. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried his body to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Mechilath near Mamre. This is the cave that Abraham had bought as a permanent burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Wow. And that, that really is a huge message of the Bible. Right? That You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. That's what he did with Christ. People intended harm when they killed Christ. The, the, the worst moment in human history was when we killed God. And yet God used it for good to save many people. By the way, the same is true in your life. In the book of Romans, it tells us that if if God will go through that, if he would send his son, then how in all things could he not be working it out for our good? I know it doesn't feel good, but he's working it out for good, and he's going to use it in your life. Verse 21. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110 he lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son Machir whom he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, You must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That concludes the book of Genesis. Moving into Exodus, which is a continuation. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are meant to be read together. They are just different chapters in the same book, if you will. So Exodus, the next book in the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephetali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now number us and are stronger than we are. We must, plan, must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Okay, so something huge was just introduced. Verse 8. Eventually, a new king came to power. This is a major theme in the Bible. Where, where does this book start? The book of Exodus. Right after coming out of Genesis. It starts by telling you what? God's people. who Who is in charge of God's people? Yahweh. The God of this universe. The king, if you will. Uh, not if you will. He is He's the ultimate king of kings. Lord of lords. And then verse 8. A new king came to power. So immediately, we have a battle forming here. The God of Israel... Pharaoh and this is a battle that will continue throughout the entire Bible. There are two ways, God's way and the world's way. God's power and the world's power. the kingdoms of the world and God's kingdom. They're in constant battle even to this very day and uh, we see the difference in the two throughout. So we're going to see what what Pharaoh's kingdom is like and it'll be compared to God's kingdom. So let's let's continue on let's look about let's see what Pharaoh's kingdom is all about. Uh, Verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. Wow. So they are making them build buildings that will serve as supply centers for the king. In other words, they are forcing them to be slaves for the rest of their life because they're building these cities where what will be stored? Food. Food. So when the slaves, the the Israelite slaves, are hungry, where do they have to go to? They have to go to Pharaoh. See, they're never going to get out of the slavery. Pharaoh is the one who provides for them. So what is Pharaoh about? He's about slavery. Verse 12. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, which, by the way, is always true of God's people. The more we are constricted, the more we are persecuted, the more we actually flourish. And the more alarm, continuing on with the verse now, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shiphrah and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live, too. So this is the first time God is actually mentioned. We talked about his people at the beginning, but he's mentioned, and how is he mentioned? Well, Pharaoh is about death, and God is about what? Life. They allowed the boys to live. God, life, Pharaoh, death. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. (laughs) Which is kind of hilarious, right? They're just spitting the babies out faster than we can do. Do anything with them. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives. What is God? Good. Pharaoh, what did he do? He was bad to the people. He made them slaves. What is God? God is good to those who fear him. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. What does God give them? Life. Lineage. What is Pharaoh trying to do? He's trying to take away life and lineage. He wants to kill the babies. God gives the babies of their own. Finishing verse 21 there. Verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So I went really slow through chapter 1 there because it sets up the whole book of Exodus. Now I'm going to read chapter 2 and try not to add very much interjection. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made out of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses. She explained, I lifted him out of the water. Which, by the way, is another huge theme in Scripture. As that concludes our Old Testament reading, water. Water, over and over, we'll see, and I'll explain it more. But water is um, is, is often a symbol of God's wrath or um, judgment, being saved from it. So we see it here. He's lifted out of the water, saved, redeemed. Uh, later on, we'll read about the Red Sea and how it's split and and what does God save his people from? The water. Yeah, you know why we baptize people in water, into the water, in and then out of the water? It symbolizes us dying to our old self and rising to new life. God has saved us. Moving on to the New Testament. Matthew chapter sixteen. That's so rich. I love Exodus. It's gonna be a great time. Matthew chapter sixteen, verse thirteen through chapter seventeen, verse nine. Starting in verse thirteen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because of my Father in heaven it has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, and the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He'd be killed but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead but peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things heaven forbid lord he said this will never happen to you jesus turned to peter and said get away from me satan you are a dangerous trap to me you are seeing things merely from a human point of view not from gods so, so peter goes from being the rock that the church is built upon to satan in about six verses i just, i find that so humorous you are the rock you are Satan. And uh, for honest, we all have days like that, right? Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all the people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's chapter 16, moving into chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful, wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And finally, uh, or not finally, now we're moving on to our Proverbs of the day as that does conclude our New Testament reading, Proverbs chapter five, verse one through six. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. And now we will move into our psalm of the day. We'll be reading Psalm 21 in a posture of Prayer. This is the 21st Psalm. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How the king rejoices in your strength, O Lord. He shouts with joy because you give him victory, for you have given him his heart's desire. You have withheld nothing he requested. Interlude. Lord, I rejoice in your strength, as David does here. Lord, forgive me that sometimes I forget the victory you've given me over death and sin through Jesus. I want to be one who shouts with joy. Verse 3. You welcomed him back with success and prosperity. You placed a crown of finest gold on his head. He asked you to preserve his life, and you granted his request. The days of his life stretch on forever. Your victory brings him great honor, and you have clothed him with splendor and majesty. You have endowed him with eternal blessings. And given him the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. The unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. Lord, thank you for the joy I have of your presence. Because of what Christ has done on my behalf. Verse 8. You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all who hate you. You will throw them into a flaming furnace when you appear. The Lord will consume them in his anger. Fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth. They will never have descendants, although they plot against you. Their evil schemes will never succeed, for they will turn and run when they see your arrows aimed at them. Rise up, O Lord, in all your power. With music and singing, we celebrate your mighty acts. Yes, Lord, we celebrate you. Thank you, Lord, for singing and music and the different ways we can express our joy for you. And I pray that in all that we do, in our work, in our language, in our love, in our creativity, today, Lord, we would be doing so out of joy and in an expression of thanksgiving for your mighty acts through Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading. I hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.